Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Anger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, founder of Access Birding, Freya McGregor, joins us to discuss enjoying this hobby with blindness or low vision. Welcome to the show, Freya. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. It's really good to have you. This has been an often requested topic, and it's not quite spring here yet, but I do still occasionally hear birds chirping, and it's always such a lovely sound, and I really look forward to learning a bit more about this hobby, because I'll confess I don't know a lot. I have a lot of questions, but before we get into those, why don't you just take a moment to tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and what you do? Sure. I am an occupational therapist. My background is in blindness and low vision services back home in Australia, but I fell in love with an American soldier. And so I've lived in the US uh, for the last seven years. And I am really, really interested as a disabled birder myself and an occupational therapist. I'm really interested in helping to increase the accessibility of birding spaces like trails and parks and observation buildings and things like that and birding programs and helping to create a more welcoming and inclusive birding community so that more disabled birders can get out and be part of this lovely community and enjoy this really cool hobby. So I run a consulting business, Access Birding, working with nature organisations to increase access and inclusion for disabled birders. And I am a research associate at Virginia Tech, working on projects related to access, inclusion, disability, birding, and using birding as a therapeutic tool, which is really cool. And I'm working on a book right now that will be published by Princeton University Press in a couple of years about accessible birding locations all over the US. So that's a pretty gigantic project. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to visit all these places that I include because a big barrier to um, lots of disabled birders is having access to the information that they need to determine if a a trail or um, a car birding location is one that would be accessible to them. So I'm trying to visit all these places, which makes for lots of awesome birding travel, but it's still a pretty monster project. Right. (laughs) I love that you keep mentioning access and inclusion because it is incredibly important. And I think when people imagine birding, they have this idea of what it is that's, you know, probably not accurate because I've even heard people call this bird watching before. And so immediately I'm thinking, uh, as a person who's blind myself, I'm like, that's probably not for me. And so for somebody who doesn't have much vision, surely there's more to birding than just looking at pretty creatures. So can you talk a little about maybe just a better way to look at this that's more inclusive? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually really passionate about this. In the birding community, there has historically been a bit of a distinction between, quote, bird watching and birding. Birding was a new sort of term. Some folks really enjoy keeping a life list, which is a list of how many birds you've seen or heard in your whole life. And many people keep lists like they might have a yard list of all the birds that have shown up in their backyard, or they people keep checklists for what they've seen or heard just on a particular trail today. Or, um, But so there was this difference between birding, which was sort of this listing, sort of almost competitive kind of thing. And 
bird watching was seen as a sort of more relaxed, casual, you know, feeding birds in your backyard and just like not really worrying too much about it. Um, but loads and loads of people bird by ear. Most sighted birders bird by ear to some extent. So different birds make different sounds and you can tell if you if you learn the sounds, you can tell what bird is making which sound and some species even look exactly the same, like like really almost impossible to visually um, identify which is which, but the sounds they make, that's the thing that tells you which one it is. So birding by ear is completely standard, you know, like it's it's not it's not an extra thing. It's it's just part of um, learning how to identify birds. And so yeah, I'm really passionate about redefining birding as the act of enjoying wild birds because some people might not think they could be a bird watcher, but you can totally be a bird enjoyer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I guess if somebody's thinking about this and they're like, I like the sounds of birds, but I don't know which bird is which, and I have no idea how to tell the difference between all these birds, or I don't even know how to get started with this. It sounds cool, but where do I even go? Are there just some beginner resources, whether it's a book, you know, website, or somewhere that people can start diving in, in a way that's not super intimidating? Yeah, absolutely. So the recommendation is to get familiar with the birds that are local to you in your backyard or that hang around in your neighborhood, because when you get familiar with those birds, then you start noticing a difference when you go to a different park or you go to a lake or the beach or the mountains, you'll start different birds live in different habitats and different birds live in different parts of the country and the world. And you'll, because you're familiar with the ones close by, you'll tell really quickly when there's a difference. There's lots of different tools. There's a really great app that's free. The Cornell Lab of Ornithology created it, which is uh, Cornell University in upstate New York, really, really big bird research institution and this app is called Merlin Bird ID. Merlin like the wizard but in fact it's Merlin like a, a falcon which is a kind of like a raptor like a small hawk and Merlin Bird ID it has photos of birds and descriptions and range maps. There is there'll be a like text description though of what the bird Bird's behavior often helps if you can see what they're up to or if someone's describing to you what the bird's doing and colors and, and size and shape and things like that. But the thing that's really cool about Merlin is it also has sounds that the birds make. So once you're in a species, like say a northern cardinal, really common bird in the eastern US in lots of people's backyards, um, you can navigate to the sound bit of the northern cardinal kind of listing and it will have a series of recorded calls because some birds make quite a few noises and you can play them and listen. Now, the good birding ethics says it's not really good to play bird sounds really loudly outside because you can distract birds from what they're doing, which is usually resting or trying to find food or nesting in the spring and summer. And we don't want to like distract them. They might think that we're an intruder and they come to kind of defend their territory. And we don't want to do that because they've got stuff to do. So if you play a sound outside, turn turn your volume down a bit, you know, hold your phone close to your ear or something. But uh, inside, 
go wild. <laughs> and there's also a really awesome feature that's just come out in the last few months on Merlin, which is a sound ID feature. And you start using the app, you start recording the sounds around you and it it recognizes what birds are calling and it tells you what they are, which is really a cool way to confirm something that you suspected. Like, I think that's a pine warbler, but let me just check. <laughs> Merlin can kind of tell you. Um, it doesn't get it all right. And, you know, there's frogs that sound like birds and there's squirrels make all kinds of noises and you can go chasing squirrels and it turns out it's a squirrel, not a bird. So <laughs> Merlin only does bird sounds at the moment. So there might be sounds you're like, why doesn't it tell me what this is? And it doesn't recognize it yet. It's not, it hasn't got all of biodiversity in there, but that's a really cool, really, really cool tool. Another fun little thing, and this is something you can just Google, there's lots of different mnemonics for learning bird sounds. So a mnemonic is like a rhyme or just a funny little phrase that you remember that helps you remember something else. So there's these mnemonics for different bird sounds. So they say Carolina wrens are these Little feisty birds, they're in, again, the eastern US, they're often in backyards, they don't really mind humans, they make a lot of noise. That's a really good call to, to learn if you're in the eastern US. They're loud and they're super feisty and they also make a few different calls, but one of them, they say that the wren says, tea kettle, tea kettle, tea kettle. Oh, right. Sometimes you have to use a bit of imagination. But that's what they say. And if you if you can learn that sort of that little memory trick, that mnemonic, then when you hear the bird, you might be like, oh, hey, that's tea kettle. That's that's the Carolina Wren. So there's a whole stack of different mnemonics. I wouldn't Google it and try and learn them all off the bat because <laughs> like that's kind of overwhelming. There's a lot, I'm sure. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's fun. And I just learned a new one recently. Tufted titmice, another really common backyard bird in a lot of the eastern US. They're also small and make a lot of noises. And I hadn't realized that a sound that I often hear in my neighborhood was a tufted titmice until I got out Merlin Bird ID and it said that was a tufted titmice. Oh, oh gosh, right. Someone just like two days later happened to tell me, oh, yeah, tufted titmice say Peter, 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 Peter. Oh, wow. And that's exactly the sound I heard. I just hadn't, you know, there's always more to learn about birds and that's something that makes it a really cool hobby. You can take it as far as you want or not. You can just enjoy them for the sake of enjoying them, not worry about what they're called because they don't care what you call them. So make up your own <laughs> <Yeah>. name. <laughs> that's a, a really great point because I think, at least for myself, when I think about birding, it really does seem intimidating, especially when I think about People I have known who do this, they have like the binoculars and the camera and they have this field guide and this log book so they can, you know, jot down what they found. And it's like this whole thing of, wow, it is a whole process and I better get out there and do it right if I'm going to do it at all. But that doesn't seem to be so accurate from what you've described so far. With that said, I'm wondering if there is equipment or anything that you would recommend if somebody is birding? Are there things that can help either with, I don't know, recording bird sounds or um, taking things down or just something that might make it a little bit easier if you had any particular equipment? Sure. Um, before I dive into the equipment, I just want to encourage you that 
that because there are so many different ways to enjoy wild birds, like none of them are more or less better than the other. And so if you want to just go out and listen and it doesn't bother you that you don't know what the birds are called, I mean, that's fine. Like do that. You don't have to have all the gear. You don't have to know all the birds' names. You don't have to travel interstate or overseas. You just do whatever you want. Like birds birds are there and they're awesome and you can enjoy them however you like. So please don't feel intimidated. We'd rather have you enjoy birds however you want than feel like you can't be part of this hobby. Uh, equipment. Yeah. So a lot of folks um, use binoculars because they magnify the bird so you can see the bird in more detail. When you're trying to identify birds visually, some birds have little, they're called field marks, like different colors in different spots. Maybe their beak is a little bit different shaped. And so binoculars make everything look a bit bigger. So they're a helpful tool. Absolutely. But they're just a tool. They're not required. Cameras. Yeah, sure. Some people really enjoy bird photography. Uh, again, not required. Just just fun if that's a thing you want to do. I know some folks with low vision really like being able to take photos of birds because they can come home and put the photos on their computer and sort of zoom in and really they can see more detail about the bird than they could when they were out in the field. So for them, that's really exciting and, and something they really like to do. I mean, I have a camera, but that's because I, I enjoy photography and I don't take it out all the time because sometimes I don't want to lug this giant heavy object around. There's lots of folks who really enjoy recording bird sounds and there's lots of different microphones that could be used out in the field. I happen to work for a radio show and podcast about birds and conservation as well. And I use my phone. We we have this thing called audio postcards. And so if I'm hearing a bird sort of making kind of consistent noise and there's not too much background noise, like a big road nearby and trucks roaring up and down, I use the voice recorder, uh, the voice memo app on my phone. And I just start recording right there. And these days, like phone microphones are pretty great. And they get this, this show, um, Talking Birds, by the way, there's a plug. Um, it's a half an hour radio show. It's released as a podcast. And Ray Brown's the host. And he's been doing this for a long time. He's been in radio longer than I've possibly been alive. <laughs> but it's a really, that's actually a fun tool because he has a really great way of sharing information about birds in, that's interesting to people who have been doing it for a while, as well as not being too overwhelming or intimidating for new birders. So talking birds, there's no G. Anyhow, you might hear my voice if you listen, because I send in audio postcards quite often, just using my phone. And I'll talk about what the bird's doing and where I am. And you can upload, there's this really amazing database called Zenocanto. It's X-E-N-O-C-A-N-T-O. And I'm not sure if it's for all kind of nature sounds or if it's just for birds, but you can upload audio recordings there and sort of make them publicly available. And the other place, and this is sort of a tool too, eBird is this massive database. Again, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology uh, run it. And that's where people can submit checklists of birds they've seen or heard in a particular location on a day. And you can upload photos and audio there as well. And so there's this incredibly extensive library of audio recordings that anyone can access through ebird.org and, and hear all the different sounds that birds make. That can get a bit overwhelming. That's why I'd use the app instead because they've selected like the best quality audio. But it's kind of fun because a lot of folks enjoy that sort of citizen science, like, you know, you're part of this these incredible research projects just by sharing data about what birds are around you and, 
and the audio and stuff. So that's kind of a fun thing too. Oh, for sure. And I think our show notes are going to be packed full of these resources, which is amazing. It's great to know that there is so much out there. And it's just in your describing this, I don't think anyone should feel limited because there are so many different ways to enjoy birds, record them, do whatever, or just, hey, I just like to listen and that's as far as I want to take it. So that's awesome. For a lot of people, they live in an urban setting. Maybe they're in an apartment complex and there's not really a backyard or, you know, something nearby, but they still want to be able to enjoy this. Travel might actually be a little bit difficult, but I mean, I feel like birds are everywhere. So are there ways that people, regardless of where they happen to be, can still step outside and enjoy birding? Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the cool things about birds is that they're everywhere, everywhere, very much in urban settings. There's a, there's a species of bird called a peregrine falcon. And unusually, uh, it's found on every continent on the planet except Antarctica. So there's peregrine falcons back home in Australia. There's peregrine falcons in the US. They got they became really endangered in the 1970s, I think, when DDT was this pesticide that was used in a lot of farming. And it turned out that it would get in the food chain. And so a peregrine falcon eats lots of prey, lots of smaller birds and, and other things. And it would sort of, this this pesticide, the, the kind of toxic part of it would get in the food chain and, and just kind of build up and build up. So by the time a falcon is eating it, they're consuming way high quantities. And peregrine falcons, bald eagles, I think American white pelicans and osprey, they're all big birds that ate lots of smaller things. And it turned out DDT made their, when they laid eggs, it made the eggshell really thin and the parents completely unknowingly would crack the eggshells just by sitting on them in the nest and so it doesn't take very long when you have a bunch of birds who aren't having successful babies because their eggshells are being cracked the babies aren't hatching all these birds became really endangered it was really really bad and then they banned DDT and all of these birds have made a huge comeback which is really really cool but peregrine falcons so they're special for that reason, but they really like nesting on cliffs where there's like a straight, like straight down, like this big epic cliff. And it turns out that skyscrapers sort of passes cliffs because they're really tall and like straight up and down. They sort of in big cities like, you know, New York and Chicago and things, they make sort of canyons. You know, there's so many skyscrapers in downtown that there's almost a canyon of like where the street is. And so there's all these places, these big, big cities where there are peregrine falcons nesting up high on these tall buildings. And even in Melbourne, where I'm from back in Australia, there's peregrine falcons on actually a few of the downtown buildings and they have nest cams. So they have a camera set up watching the nest. There's one in Boston too. There's a nest cam on some peregrine falcons. And and that's a really fun way to enjoy birds from your computer because you can just open up the YouTube streaming, I think it often is. Um, the nest cam, and you can see what's going on. And because these birds are raptors, they have to kind of baby their babies for quite a while. So you get weeks of watching the little nestlings grow up and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger before they kind of fledge and graduate out into the world. 
so yeah, so peregrine falcons, it also turns out, particularly in New York, so I hear, there are so many pigeons. Oh, right. <laughs> that, that's like super easy prey. And pigeons are a common urban bird all over the world and, and um, peregrine falcons really like eating them. So <laughs> <laughs> all of this to say, there are absolutely birds everywhere, even in places that you wouldn't necessarily think. If you can, if there's a local park or green space nearby, there's probably going to be more and different birds in that more natural space, If there's, especially if there's water and um, because birds need plants because that's where insects are and that's food for a lot of a lot of bird species. So, you know, parks are really great and urban parks and but even in really intense downtown areas, there are birds. Tune in and listen out and um, look up if you can and you never know what what you run into. That's very cool. We've talked a lot about doing this sort of on your own as a solitary thing, which is perfectly fine. You know, you're not having to organize something with somebody else. But I am wondering if there are some benefits to enjoying this as part of a group and how how do people actually go about finding somebody or a group of people who are into this hobby as well? Yeah, absolutely. So really cool thing in the US, there is the National Audubon Society, which is a really big bird and conservation organization. And there are more than 400 Audubon chapters all over the US. Different Audubon chapters are different sizes, but they very often are running bird bird walks, bird outings, birding events, workshops online, presentations, advertised on social media or on their website or in their newsletter. And beginners are almost always very, very, very welcome. Um, I've never seen something that said beginners were not welcome. Sometimes they'll have a beginner bird walk like specifically to to start folks out and they'll on purpose not get too carried away and get too overwhelming with information um because there is so much to learn about birds but yeah so Audubon societies Audubon chapters there's lots of bird clubs as well local bird clubs and uh nature centers and, and state parks and things often um they'll have programs education or interpretive programs that are about birds or going out you know on a on a bird hike or something so there's loads of ways to to get involved in the in person birding community and it's really fun you don't have to plenty of people would rather go birding on their own or just with a, one friend or a couple of friends or whatever but yeah going on organized uh, bird outings is really fun i would encourage you so i've done a lot of work help educate non-disabled members of the birding community about how to be more welcoming and inclusive of folks who might have different access challenges but i would encourage you if if you're blind or have low vision and you're um, going you you really want to go out on a bird outing i'm sure it's not required at all but it might be helpful to like email ahead of time and see if you can get in touch with the outing leader and just let them know that you're coming and you know there's nothing that they have to worry about but just a heads up if they could help point out more birds that are making sounds than just the ones that you can see you know that might help the outing leader just make the event more enjoyable for you excellent and i think if if you're telling a group ahead of time or a leader ahead of time, hey, I'm going to be here, it will at least give them an opportunity to think about birding in a way that maybe they don't all the time already. 
And so it could be beneficial for both of you. Maybe they think about this is really visual for me. And I, of course, I do hear birds, but I don't pay attention to it as much as I could. And maybe just having that as a part of the group, everyone is focused on listening as well as looking. I think it's a way that can bring people together and everybody benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes sighted birders, birding by ear feels like an advanced skill. <laughs> and they might know a few calls, but I'm I'm sort of in this category. You know, I'm I'm very proud that I'm slowly getting more com- like competent at at identifying different birds by ear. But it's not it's not something that's come as easy to me as identifying them visually. So there are a lot though lots and lots of birders want to improve their birding by ear skills for for exactly the reasons that I just shared. And and so there'll often be outings that are organized that are workshops that are focusing on birding by ear. And so if, especially if you said, like, hey, I, I, it'd be really great if you can make sure to kind of try and point out the calls as much for me. The outing leader might really appreciate that opportunity to stretch their brain out a bit and, and stretch everybody else's brain out a bit too, for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this has turned out to be a, a far less intimidating and far more approachable hobby than I ever imagined, which is really, really great. And I know that the audience is going to enjoy this as well. We have some people who are birding already and some who are very curious about it and just weren't sure quite where to begin. So this has been really informative. Is there anything that we didn't cover or any maybe just a bit of advice that you would leave people with as we wrap up? Yeah, backyard birding is a whole thing and feeding birds, you know, lots and lots of people, they might not think that they're a birder, but a lot of people feed birds in their backyard. And that's that's awesome and a great way to tune into the birds in your in your local area. But yeah, there there isn't a wrong way to do this. So please go out. We we know there's so many therapeutic benefits to birding, like for our health and well-being and bird sounds, listening to bird sounds can help reduce stress and a whole lot of other things. So yeah, just just if you can get outside or if if getting outside's hard tuning into a nest cam or a feeder cam, there's lots and lots of them on the internet that You'll probably be able to hear some some awesome sounds and yeah, enjoy birds. It's so fun. Love it. Thank you so much. And I can definitely hear the passion in your voice as you talk about this, which is always good. It's great to have someone who knows a lot about a subject and is clearly just hoping to share that with other people. So thank you so much for taking a bit of your time and just sharing your expertise and your passion with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hadley.edu. Or leave us a message at 847-784-2870. Thanks for listening. 